Welcome to another Godcast from Whosoever, an online magazine for gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender Christians. I'm Candace Shalou Hodge, the founder and editor. Thank you for joining us. Coming up on this Godcast, we'll get a wrap-up of the Soul Force Equality Ride from East Bus co-director Jarrett Lucas. We'll also take a meditation moment on what it means to do justice, and we'll wrap it all up with some holy humor. Two months ago, 50 young adults boarded two separate buses to visit 32 Christian colleges and universities around the country. The goal of the Soul Force Equality Ride was to challenge these universities over the issue of homosexuality. Each of these schools has policies against homosexuality and punishment for those who come out during their tenure at school. During the first Equality Ride back in 2006, riders went to 19 schools and engaged students, faculty, and administrators in conversation about the damaging effects of homophobic doctrine and the false notion that lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender identities are sick and sinful. Jarrett Lucas was the co-director, along with Katie Higgins, on the East Bus. The riders spent the better part of their journey in the Deep South and were greeted with locked gates and sometimes outright hostility. Despite those troubles, Lucas believes the equality ride is important. I would say, first and foremost, that it was continuing what we started in 2006. So much of what we do is about accomplishing the ultimate goal of you know, full social justice and equality, and the only way that can happen is if we, you know, finish what we start. And, uh, you know, secondly, we made a promise to other students around the country that we would go to, you know, specific schools and continue this. Um, And so we did just that. I saw so many lives change because of this year's Equality Ride, not just the new batch of Equality Riders, the 46 young adults that we had participate, but also, you know, many students at schools we visited. Uh, you know, one great example of that is six GSAs that started as a result of, you know, just our bus alone. Okay, and, and Gay Straight Alliances, let's just make that clear what, what GSA means. Compare this this trip to last year. Were there, was it was it better? Was it worse? This year's ride is just so very different. I would say the only similarities is that it's called the Equality Ride <laughs> and it took young adults to conservative Christian schools. That aside, it was so different. We found that, at least on our bus, on the eastbound bus, that we faced a lot of resistance from cities and from police, and that was not the experience we had last year. It was much more serious in that sense that, you know, we always discuss consequences of and suffering from what we do, from our activism, and this year we were faced with it. We were faced with community service where, you know, for six days some equality riders had to stay behind, and, um, you know, we spent the night in jail on several occasions, and also more schools this, this year, on our bus at least, were against the idea of having us on campus. We were not welcomed at the majority of schools. And so, you know, just those two things, specifically the consequences and then the fact that most schools were unwelcoming, created a totally different uh, experience. Why do you think that was? Were, Were people more clued in on what you were doing because of last year? I don't know. I think that a huge part of it is location. We spent more uh, about half of our ride in the Deep South, Mm -hmm. and I think when you look at the political, cultural uh, history and religious history of those places, that it would you know present a bit more of a challenge. And so we went into those those cities in the Deep South and. We found, you know, a bit of what we expected. We expected a little more hardship. We expected, you know, all the schools we visit are conservative, but 
it's a different kind of conservative. It's yeah. the kind that says, it's the Bob Jones that says, you know, like, we are a fortress and this is our tradition and we are not letting you in at all. It's like the Mississippi College that says, you know, the same thing. There's no room for dialogue and so on and so forth. So um, I, I don't think it's necessarily because of last year the West bus didn't encounter as much as that as we did. Mm-hmm. I, I think it was tied very much to you know, specifically where we chose to go. Yeah, that's true. So what was the most challenging part of the ride for you? I would say that it wasn't an event, it wasn't a school. Um, It was more so my growth as a leader, simply because last year I wasn't a quality rider. I wasn't in a leadership role, you know, not at least explicitly. And so... To be a co-director <laughs> leading, you know, 24 people across the country for two months presented, of course, a challenge because I've never been in that situation before. So, you know, having the conversations through campus are one thing and doing the plan and that's another, but having people actually respect you as a leader, trust you as a leader, and basically follow you into really insane situations, <laughs> that, that was probably the most difficult part. What about the ride then was most rewarding for you? Most rewarding, just being on the ride, I would say, um, having the conversations, because for months and months and months we've been planning this. We've been taking the people and designing the buses and looking at the route and looking at hotels and all of these, you know, trying to raise money for it, all of these, like, logistical needs. Um, And so to be on the road and having conversations with meeting students that you know are being changed because of the dialogue, like, that was absolutely the most rewarding part. Um, You know, it would be so tiring to, like, wake up and and go to a school early in the morning and spend 13 hours on campus. But when you know that you have changed one life or two lives or, like, a dozen, that means all the world. At Bob Jones, you guys faced some very loud um, and rude protesters. Was that the only place where you had those sort of protesters? Um, I would say Bob Jones was the most vocal and had the largest presence of, you know, opposition. But uh, we also encountered some, you know, protesters of sorts when we were at Messiah College in Mm -hmm. Grantham, Pennsylvania. A group called Repent America was there, and there were about you know, close to 10 of them, um, and I'm from Philadelphia, and so like, I'd encountered them plenty of times before at different pride events and parades and things, um, but they were pretty vocal, and their, their, their greatest goal was to just attract attention from students and kind of detract from, you know, um, and distract students from while we were there, the conversations we were having. But Bob Jones stands out as the most, like, visibly opposing place. How did that really make you feel to, to have those people shouting and, and holding such such offensive signs? It really reaffirms and reminds me why I am on the Equality Ride, why I do what I do. Um, because so often we, we talk about in Soul Force, within Soul Force we talk about violence and this idea that violence exists in many forms. And while they are their messaging is different as in how they communicate it but they share the same ideas of so many people with whom we speak on campus you know the idea that we're going to hell the idea that God does not love us the same or cannot if we are living in this you know homosexual lifestyle and all all the rhetoric uh, it exists you know everywhere we go 
it's just that Bob Jones, it was more vocally expressed. It was like on signs and it was blasted over microphones. And that does remind you that while hatred can be this salient, it can be this real and tangible. Um, but, but every day, every conversation you get into, you realize and recognize the need to continue doing that. I guess one of the, the most powerful moments I saw at Bob Jones was when Flip Benham and, the, and his little group knelt before yeah. you guys and, and, and prayed. I mean, I know that group had been had been holding some dialogue with you. I mean, is that does, is that at least encouraging, even though probably no minds were changed on either side? Yeah, I think that that, that group was Operation Save America, and I think when the beauty that's provided, even if none of their minds are changed, they have never met anyone like us, like mm-hmm. the quality riders from this year. Most of the people like that they <laughs> abuse verbally they don't respond the way we do. They don't respond with love and or respond at all. Mm-hmm. And so for us to say, hey, we're willing to dialogue with you so much so that we will meet you for lunch one day, you know, further along down our route. Um, and we're willing to speak with you now and exchange emails and continue these conversations. I think that shows them intent that they've not witnessed before. Also... It is beautiful when you're presented with people who are bowing down before us and definitely not bowing to show honor, but to Mm -hmm. say, you know, to to make these prayers that we are freed from homosexuality. To see that happen, I think it provides a great contrast when we simply stand there in in silent vigil or stand there and sing songs of peace and justice and things. Uh, Because people see that and people recognize the difference (laughs) of, Mm -hmm. of, you know, like myself saying I'm a gay Christian and what that means for me versus someone like Flip Venom saying, you know, oh, I'm a Christian and this is my mission. Mm-hmm. People see it. But those aren't the only critics out there about, you know, saying things about the equality ride. Even within our own community, there are critics who are saying that the equality ride is not making any progress or not doing the right thing because they're going to private schools who have the right to make whatever rules they want. What, what do you say to that? Well, I think it is important to remind ourselves of what Martin Luther King Jr. said. He said, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, we do go to private, conservative, Christian school. But as long as they exist, which they will, if they are holding the position and teaching things that are homophobic and transphobic, then homophobia and transphobia will continue to exist because the students who attend those schools for four years go on to graduate and then they live in the same world that we live in. And so if we don't go have the conversation there, if we don't share a different perspective early on in their academic experience, then harm is done because they leave and they hold on to this belief system that says that we are less than and they treat us accordingly. So it's so important to have the conversation there. We certainly do take heat from all sides. We take heat from progressives who say that we are not going about this in the right way, that we're going to private institutions, and they have every right to discriminate, but we say, you know, it's not right to do that. Um, We have a long history in this country of private institutions, private spaces, being used to oppress or teach oppression, and that was those places were where we needed to go most. Um, it's that idea of go where you're least wanted because that's where you're most needed. So, what do you see as the main accomplishments of this year's ride? This year's ride, I would say, considering the small amount of schools that we actually that actually welcomed us onto campus, the fact that almost at every one of those schools. A Gay Street Alliance was formed, and students felt empowered to 
pretty much pick up the torch and continue this, um, I think that is our greatest success story. And I'm sure that next year for the Equality Ride, we will have students from the schools we visited, and that will be beautiful as well. But it starts with them wanting and, you know, pursuing change within their own community. So what main memory do you take away from this year? What, what will you always remember? One of the things that I will remember most is the people that I spent two months with. Mm -hmm. uh, the Equality Riders this year were just an, of an amazing caliber. The conversations they had, the thoughts that they shared, the dedication they showed was amazing. And I think they are the greatest beacons of hope because... You know, for them, going home after the equality ride ends is really the beginning because they are equality riders in their own lives, in their own communities, in their cities and states and so on. And they're from all over the country. So I know that when I and, and, and my co-director, when we walk away from the equality ride, when we begin planning the next full force campaign, that those 24 people go back to their respective homes and they are so ready, so equipped, to create change in their spaces, and that's so important to have that happen in all around the country. Do you see a day when this kind of ride will be unnecessary? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I do. I have every bit of faith that one day we will have full equality as, as gay and transgender people, and the optimist in me says that will happen in my lifetime, and the realist even says that will happen in my lifetime. Hmm. I think, however, that if we don't learn the lessons we need to, that there will just become another oppressed group, that someone else will become the target of, of spiritual violence and verbal violence and physical violence. And I think that the issue of gay and transgender people not being accepted within society globally, I think it's an important lesson that we have an opportunity to learn that, you know, we exist in every country, in every religion, in every group of people. We are everywhere, very literally. And I think that if we can address this prejudice and really solve it in the idea of seeing diversity where others see distortion, I think that we can take away from that a valuable lesson that we are all connected and we're all, you know, through those connections we are still different, but we need to recognize those differences as beautiful diversity. And if we can really do that, the next difference that will be attacked may not be attacked. We may be able to say, you know what, sure, this group of people, they are different, but let's honor them and, and recognize their beauty. So hopefully that will be the case, um, that no equality ride for any type of reason will be not needed. But uh, I think that once LGBT people gain equality, that unfortunately I, I really feel that <laughs> according to trends, societal trends, that someone else will need championing, someone else will need an advocate. So, so the work of activism is never truly done. No, <laughs> no. And I, I think it's also a good thing because activism at its root is about justice. And to me, justice is not, you know, punishment or justice is not like, you know, correction. But justice is having everything be as it should. Mm -hmm. And of course, every single individual on this earth should be recognized and valued as a worthy being, as you know, a beautiful creature, creation, whatever you may feel about that. But just have that worth recognized and shared. Even, um, even if they hold signs and, and shout at you. 
<laughs> even if they hold signs and shout at you, that yeah. everybody should be valued. Of course, those beliefs, those opinions, those violent methods and messages should not be valued, hmm. um, but people. So what's next in, in your activism? Uh, is there going to be another ride next year? What's going to happen? Well, SoulForce has a lot of big plans. We, next year, are having, of course, another equality ride where we're going to go to more of the schools on our list. Also, next summer, we're going to have a trial run Equality Ride Eastern Europe. We're going to go and have the conversation with European governments, Eastern European governments, in preparation for a full Equality Ride Eastern Europe in 2009. And this is just among other campaigns that we'll have. We're going to have a campaign that address marriage inequality and also the Don't Ask, Don't Tell policy. Um, so we definitely have a lot of plans, and we're going to keep moving forward. For more information on Soul Force and how you can support all of their upcoming activities, visit their website at soulforce.org. Lucas talked a lot about justice in our interview, and we continue that theme with our meditation moment. In Micah 6, 6 through 8, we read, With what shall I approach the Lord? Do homage to God on high. Shall I approach him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Would the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with myriads of steams of oils? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for my sins? He has told you, O man, what is good, and what the Lord requires of you, only to do justice, and to love goodness, and to walk modestly with your God. Now, the people in Micah's day are not much different than we are today, always looking for a a way to approach God so that God is pleased with us. Micah tells them all that God requires, doing justice, loving goodness, and modestly walking with God. This is not a new revelation to the people of Micah's day. They've heard these words before in several places. Deuteronomy 10.12 says, And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God demand of you? Only this, to revere the Lord your God and to walk only his paths, to love him and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. Hosea 6.6 says, For I desire goodness not sacrifice, obedience to God rather than burnt offerings. Amos six twenty two and 24 says, If you offer me burnt offerings or your meal offerings, I will not accept them. I will pay no heed to your gifts or fatlings, but let justice well up like water, righteousness like an unfailing stream. This is not to say that God wants the people to stop sacrificing to God altogether. Sacrifice is, after all, part of the Mosaic law, and the prophet is not trying to change the law here, but merely point out that in following the letter of the law, one must also be mindful of the spirit of the law. The prophet seeks to show the people that sacrifice without a proper relationship to God and neighbor is useless. There's no sacrifice that a person can give that is grand enough to please God. Only by giving oneself totally to God can one become right with God. It's not an ethic, but a way of life. Despite the fact that God has repeatedly saved the people and blessed them, the people remain clueless about what God truly wants from them. They've sacrificed and still have practiced injustice, oppression, and evil, and have displayed haughtiness. God tells them that their sacrifices are not what God requires of them. Instead, what God requires is that they do justice, love goodness, and walk modestly with God. God is not concerned with overt displays of piety, but instead demands inward growth with God. To do justice, one must first be filled filled with justice himself. To love goodness, one must cultivate goodness within. To live modestly, one must become modest. 
God demands inner growth and the ability to embody justice, goodness, and modesty more than any outward sign of piety or reverence. Jesus tells the Pharisees in Matthew fifteen eighteen, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. Unless we have justice, goodness, and modesty in our hearts, what proceeds from out of our mouths will defile us, even if it's a praise to heaven. Without love, we are a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal to God, as 1 Corinthians 13, 1 tells us. Things today are much like they were in Micah's time. The rich get richer while the poor get poorer. Corporations are more concerned with the bottom line and how many profits will be realized in a year than they are with the general welfare of their workers. Big companies have all but obliterated the idea of the family farm. Many in our society, including women, children, gays, lesbians, bisexuals, transgendered persons, African Americans, Latinos, and other non-Caucasian races, remain on the margins, oppressed by a system that does not value the diversity they bring to society. Mainstream churches spend their time raising money for building funds or paying an increasingly large staff to market the church to the increasingly nonplussed population. Many churches bleed the spirituality right out of religion in the name of public piety. Church becomes a place to see and be seen. In my hometown, a small community north of Atlanta, church is a place to do business. Everyone in town will do business with you if you're seen in church. The depth or integrity of one's walk of faith is not as important as being seen as being religious. The rightness of doctrines of following church law or church precepts often take precedence over real spiritual growth. Say one wrong thing about a doctrine and many denominations will kick you right out. Have the audacity to perform a marriage ceremony for two people in love who happen to be of the same gender, you get defrocked. In too many churches today, it's the letter of the law that matters, not the spirit. Justice, mercy, and a humble walk with God are far from the people's minds as they attend to church business, mindful only to follow the rules and doctrines to the letter. God's case against the people still stands today. We've done all the modern-day rites we're supposed to do, go to church on Sunday, pray, talk about God to others, witness about our faith, but still, God has a case against us. Again, God seeks to remind us of what we need to do, seek justice, mercy, and walk humbly with God. Yes, we are to do all the other things that we are called to do as Christians, but we must come to God not just with our rights and sacrifices, but with our whole hearts and minds focused solely on God. And now for some holy humor. Legend has it about a century or two ago, the Pope challenged the Jewish community of Rome to a debate. The Jews looked around for a champion who could defend their faith, but no one wanted to volunteer. It was far too risky. So they finally picked an old man named Moshe, who spent his life sweeping up after people. He was going to represent them. Being old and poor, he had nothing to lose, so he agreed. He only asked for one additional rule for the debate. Not being used to saying very much, he asked that neither side be allowed to talk. The Pope agreed. The day of the great debate came. Moshe and the Pope sat opposite each other for a full minute before the Pope raised his hand and showed three fingers. Moshe looked back to him and raised one finger. The Pope waved his fingers in a circle around his head. Moshe pointed to the ground where he sat. The Pope pulled out a wafer and a glass of wine. Moshe pulled out an apple. The Pope stood up and said, I give up. This man is too good. The Jews win.
An hour later, the cardinals were all around the Pope, asking him what happened. The Pope said, well, first I held up three fingers to represent the Trinity. He responded by holding up one finger to remind me that there was still one God common to both of our religions. Then I waved my finger around to show him that God was all around us. He responded by pointing to the ground, showing that God was also right here with us. I pulled out the wine and the wafer to show him that God absolves us from our sins. He pulled out an apple to remind me of original sin. He had an answer for everything. What could I do? Meanwhile, the Jewish community had crowded around Moshe, amazed that this old, almost feeble-minded man had done what all their scholars had insisted was impossible. What happened, they asked. Well, said Moshe, first he said to me that the Jews had three days to get out of here. I told him that not one of us was leaving. Then he told me that this whole city would be cleared of Jews. I let him know that we were staying right here. And then, asked a woman, I don't know, said Moshe. He took out his lunch, so I took out mine. Thank you so much for joining us for Whosoever's Godcast. We'd love to hear your feedback. You can tell us your thoughts, comments, or suggestions by writing to us. Our email address is godcast at whosoever.org. Or you can leave your comments at our blog at whosoeverpods.blogspot.com. The theme music for our program has been graciously provided by Adam Kierley. Other music included samples from Heavy Mellow and Suzanne Ting, all available from magnitude.com. If you'd like to join the Whosoever community, we have many online groups that you can join for fun and support. You can find whosoeverins in your area when you join our Rainbow Fish groups. To find out more, go to whosoever.org slash rainbowfish. If you're enjoying our podcast, we hope you'll consider making a monetary donation to our ministry. It takes money to produce and broadcast this program and, of course, to keep our ministry on the web where we've been a valuable resource to our community for a decade. You can donate by credit card by going to our website at whosoever.org slash donate. Or you can send checks to Whosoever Ministries Incorporated, Post Office Box 7. 27 Camden, South Carolina 29021. Remember, whosoever is a 501c3 nonprofit, that means all donations are tax deductible. Thanks again for listening. May God richly bless you.